approach. In order to start our analysis, we naturally look at the market size of a potential sector that an international financial center like Hong Kong could fund, namely the market size for solar panels and solar generated electricity. And what we see from this first infographic is we look at the value of sales and leases of solar panels across China as a potential market for lending and finance from Hong Kong. As the map of China shows, the western parts of China clearly receive more sunlight than the eastern parts. Thus, to some extent, as electricity flows from west to east, money has to flow from east to west in order to finance this solar equipment. Continuing our analysis, we note that the market size is much bigger for Hong Kong than simply the mainland. This shot of the Asia region at night shows roughly electricity consumption in lighting across the Asian region. And what we see is that some markets are very heavily served by existing electricity providers, particularly in India, to some extent the eastern seaboard of China, certainly Japan, certainly Taiwan. However, we see other markets that are much less provisioned. Cambodia, Laos, Indonesia, even some parts of Malaysia. We might suspect that demand for a new industry, particularly one that generates electricity, would be higher in these areas where there are no viable alternatives or substitutes. Thus, the market size for the solar panel and photovoltaic industry and particularly finance of that industry extends well beyond the mainland. In order to add precision to our analysis, we show the discounted expected value of returns to solar investments in what we call Hong Kong's catchment area, namely those jurisdictions where Hong Kong financial institutions might seek out customers in order to provide them with finance of photovoltaic equipment. And what we see showing a log value of revenues is naturally China represents the largest market by far in terms of expected revenue from the photovoltaic industry, yet other major markets also promise to yield high revenues. The value of such revenues from Russia should come out at roughly 85 billion US dollars, India roughly 60 billion US, and even Thailand, Indonesia at roughly 1.3 billion dollars each. Thus, in terms of adding to our financial center's books of business, we see that these markets have very large potential. Thus, if Hong Kong wants to grow as an international financial center, it clearly has to find ways of providing finance to these jurisdictions and has to make itself more attractive than other international financial centers. And what is more, that we see that demand for photovoltaic equipment might extend even further into Asia after considering the way that Chinese companies will probably migrate into some of the lower cost Asian centers. This infographic shows the drivers of China's comparative advantage in producing a watt of electricity. And what we see is that China still maintains a reasonably large scale economy, which decreases costs. Of course, its cost of labor adds to its cost advantages. Yet we see that the most important capitalist aspects of this industry, namely the cost of debt and the cost of equity, hardly or not at all contribute to China's cost advantage.
as mainland companies shift abroad, they will want to find new sources of debt and equity in order to keep their cost advantage beyond simply hiring cheaper and cheaper labor. Thus, we see that if we want to look at the future of Hong Kong as an international financial center, we have to start first with thinking about the size of a sunrise industry that it might fund. And in this case, the value of that sunrise industry could exceed well over half a trillion US dollars. Now, in order to understand the competitive advantage of an international financial center like Hong Kong, one has to understand the financial value chain, namely those steps that the international financial center uses to shift demand into supply. Figure 8 in our paper shows a stylized example of the photovoltaic cell manufacturing process and we have superimposed on that process the financial value chain, namely those aspects of finance which correspond to the various steps of the manufacturing or sales process. Thus, looking at that manufacturing process, we see that solar R&D companies and equipment manufacturers hold the stock of licensing or lease agreements, that intellectual property that's used to build solar panels, for example. We see that operations and maintenance companies have the responsibility for providing solar panels to potential consumers. We see that on a mass scale, particularly, solar power providers at both the retail and wholesale level need to go out and market solar panels as well as find out where there is existing demand. Solar power utilities comprise their own segment. Namely, there could be so much demand for solar power as a utility rather than simply as a retail or wholesale individualistic good or service. Naturally, looking at the users of solar panel, one might consider both the direct and indirect users of photovoltaic equipment. Put on top of this manufacturing process, we see that there are different financial instruments that make each of these steps possible. Institutional investors, mutual funds to some extent provide those bundles of stocks and bonds that are used to finance this stock of intellectual property. Thus, on the one hand, you might see a pile or a stack of patents of intellectual property and correspondingly, you might see a stack or pile of stocks and bonds. Naturally, speculators make use not only of institutional investors, but also asset-backed security consolidators, a business model which is increasingly important even in places like the US. And around this industry, a third-party credit market might emerge in order to provide additional finance directly on the demand side or user side of this market. And in terms of providing funding, retail investors should represent the bulk of the financial demand just so much as households and companies should comprise the bulk of solar electric demand. Carrying on with this concept of solar electricity as a value chain, we see here the steps involved in a cross-border solar securitization. And what we see is that this securitization is simply a nexus of contracts which cuts up risks and returns. Any solar panel, for example, will have its own risks and returns. 
in terms of financing these solar panels, we see that returns might go to shareholders, bondholders, and other executives. We see that these stakeholders take on certain types of risk, such as management expropriation risk in the case of bondholders and shareholders. And we also see that all three groups take on China regulatory risk. Continuing further down the chain, we see that there are securitization originators, we see the wholesale market in these types of securities, as well as retail intermediation of these solar securities. And we see that along the securitization process, there are other risks which are chopped up and passed on to demanders of these financial products. If the securitized instrument is created in Hong Kong, there are naturally regulatory risks in Hong Kong. Amongst wholesalers and even retailers, they incur a certain amount of monitoring risk, risk of regulations in other jurisdictions where they sell the securities, counterpart risk of wholesalers to retailers of other business partners, the risk of not being able to get their money back in case a partner customer goes bankrupt, the risk of imperfect hedging, as well as counterpart risk in the whole chain. Institutional economics is very comfortable with the idea of thinking about a corporation or indeed any productive process as simply a nexus of contracts as one agreement carrying on from another agreement to another agreement, which simply partitions returns and risks. And if we've seen the market size for the actual photovoltaic industry, figure 9 shows the market size of financing for this industry. As we see in the figure, we've estimated the maximum market size for equity finance of common stock shares in these photovoltaic companies in the catchment region at roughly 5 billion US dollars. We see that demand for preferred shares rather than common shares comes to about 4 billion, senior debt at 2.5 billion, subordinated debt at 1.5, and so forth. You can see the original study for the procedures we use to derive these estimates. Interestingly though, we see that a relatively large part of this market consists of demand for securitized instruments. Namely, if Hong Kong is not able to provide these new cutting-edge instruments in a way that is safe for investors and other consumers to use, then investors will very well bypass Hong Kong entirely. Moreover, looking at figure 28 from the paper, we see that there is more than enough assets and liabilities on the mainland in these solar companies in order to create the types of securities we just talked about. This figure shows the value of assets of these photovoltaic companies as well as the value of their liabilities. Thus, if we think about company value as the simple sum of assets and liabilities, we see that financiers in places like Hong Kong have the potential of chopping up these assets, of bundling them in securities or debt contracts, and sending those pieces of paper out not only across China but across the world and taking their own cut of the process. This brings us to 